Welcome to the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast in the middle of coronavirus. Yes. <laughs> so, as we're all stuck at home and reading more books, we thought that we would read a book today. Yes. Not exactly read an entire book, but I am going to read some quotes. Hello, this is Connor here. I just want to give a trigger warning. One of the anecdotes that Sheila and Rebecca discuss from the book by Tim LaHaye, The Act of Marriage, gives an account of marital rape, though it is not acknowledged as such in the book. It is not covered in detail, but for anyone who has concerns about being emotionally triggered, I will give a heads up before it is brought up and give you time to skip ahead. Thank you. So, I am Sheila Ray Gregoire from ToLoveHonorAndVacuum.com, and I am joined here by my daughter, Rebecca. Hello, Rebecca. Hello. And I'm actually in your house. Yes, my new house. Yes, because you moved just around the corner from me. Yes. And this is the last time that we will be recording a podcast in the same house for a few months. Because of coronavirus. Yes, because we, okay, here's, so everyone doesn't freak on us. Yeah. Both of us were self-isolating for three weeks. Like, neither of us had any contact with anyone. For yeah, as in, yeah, exactly. To the point that when we did move, Connor had to move us entirely by himself because we couldn't have anyone come and help us. Yes. So that, because we knew that when we got to Belva, we were going to need some help practically moving into our house because mm-hmm. we just couldn't do it all on our own in both ways. Right. Um, and so we burst that bubble in terms of, you know, uh, social contact, and yes. so we're just enjoying it for the next week. Yeah, because then my husband is seeing patients again. Not COVID patients, but you never know. And so once he does that, then I'm going to have to go back into complete self-isolation. Yeah, and we're going to do a full 100% <laughs> two-week quarantine as well. And yes. then we're going <sighs> to be able to go to the grocery store again after that. So, because it'll be nice to be able to go to the grocery store and not have someone do groceries for us. Yes. For the first time in a really long time. Yes, so here we are. We are enjoying our last our last bit together. And I am enjoying my grandson, that who we just fed carrots to for the first time. That was very fun. But we are working on a project called The Great Sex Rescue, Rebecca and Joanna and I, and it is due in at the publishers in May, so we are frantically writing it. It's based on the surveys of 22,000 of you who filled it out. Thank you so very, 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 very Thank much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, but one of the other things that we're doing is we're taking a look at some of the messages that people grew up hearing about sex and how those messages that were in Christian books affected our sex lives. And so as we were doing that, I pulled out the book that I read before I was married. So this is way a long time ago, back in the early 90s. It was the best-selling sex book of the time, The Act of Marriage by Tim and Beverly LaHaye. And it really scarred me at the time. When I read it, it was like, ah, I went from really anticipating sex to dreading it, and I, I, I ended up drowning the book in the bathtub. And it was funny because in our surveys, a lot of people mentioned that this book really messed them up too. And so I thought it was time to reread it and see what bothered me about it. Because I, I couldn't really remember, but I knew there was something. So I, I did get, download it on my Kindle. And I did reread it. And we have a rubric, a 12-point rubric that we have made to judge each of these books um, on 12 different, 12 different scales, about 12 different things. Um, and so I, I did that. But I thought it would be really fun, since Rebecca has not read this book, <laughs> for me to read you some quotes, Becca, so that everybody can just kind of take this journey with us together. <laughs> yeah, still sure we're not having the same definition of fun, but let's go. <laughs> Now and and I want to I want to say at the outset that this book actually did not score that badly. No, it in didn't. Our rubric. Um, we have we have it's it's on a scale of one to forty eight. I I think this one was in the twenties somewhere in the high twenties. Yeah. 
which a lot of books were actually ten or below. Yeah, and so and and then we did have a few that were really good, like Gift of Sex. Uh, what like a 46, 47 out of forty? Forty seven out of forty eight. Really, really good book. Yeah. Um, Boundaries in Marriage. Yeah. Got really high as well. Yes. Um, intimate issues fairly high. Doesn't mean they were perfect on everything, but but scored quite high. So we we do have some books that we really like, um, and this one was not one of the worst, but. There are things in it that I think that we can see why this can mess people up. So I, I just want to read you some some quotes and, and see what you think. So we're going to work from the beginning, some of the things that I've highlighted. Okay. And here we go. <laughs> okay, so one of, the, one of the big things the act of marriage is trying to do is to change our attitudes towards sex, which was a good thing. This book was written in the 80s, I believe. It sold millions and millions of copies, and it was really one of the first books that talked about how women deserve to feel pleasure too, and here's how to do that. So yay for this book. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and so what it was trying, what, what it, one of its main purposes was to change our attitudes towards sex. But here's how, here's how he introduced the subject. So he tells this story of a couple who divorced because, okay. because the husband chose to have an affair. And here's how he explains it. While this man's decision to leave his family cannot be condoned in a Christian, I am confident, knowing the youthful character of the man and his commitment to Christ, that it would not have happened if his wife had not been afflicted with an unbiblical mental attitude toward married lovemaking. So, like, it's not her fault because it's her fault. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he just said. He said it's, it's now, like, this is not at all to be condoned because it's totally his fault, except that it's obviously not because he's a good guy, so it has to be her fault because I can't possibly be wrong about the fact that he was a good guy. <laughs> That's completely out of the picture. What's completely believable is that she was entirely the problem. And also, I'm sorry, but if you have a husband who cheats on you with someone, maybe there's a deeper reason why you don't like sex with the guy. Yeah! Yeah! Like, I'm sorry, it would, like... There are a lot of men out there who are in sexless marriages who are faithful. Yeah, we have a lot of them on the blog. We do. And there, and so this idea that, like, well, because she's not giving him sex, of course he's going to have an affair. Maybe that mentality in the marriage is what she's sensing and why she doesn't want to have sex with the man who's not safe to have sex with. Yes. And I, I also want to say, if your purpose is to help women have a more positive attitude towards sex, telling women, if you don't have a positive attitude towards sex, your husband will have an affair... It's not shooting really yourself an, in the foot or that, a different body part. Like, just, yeah, doesn't yeah. that just give you the hots for him? Totally. Yeah. No. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here's here's another one. So here he's listing four principles that he is going to be explaining in the book. Okay. Okay. And and I just want to read you what the four of them are. Both husband and wife have sexual needs and drives that should be fulfilled in marriage. Good. Good. Okay. When a person marries, he forfeits control of his body to his partner. No. No. <laughs> Would you like to elaborate on that? That's icky. <laughs> you can't consent if you don't have the option to say no. That's yeah. the problem. Is like if if you are married and someone feels they have complete control over you, then your yes means nothing. Right. That's the thing, is you can't truly decide to want someone or to make love to someone if it's not your choice. Otherwise, it means absolutely nothing. Yeah. And I think what people are getting at is 1 Corinthians 7, 3 to 5, where yeah. it says, you know, the husband's body does not belong to him, but to the wife, and the wife's body does not belong to her, but to the husband. Mm -hmm. And that is a scriptural principle, but we have taken it to mean more than it was supposed to mean. Yeah. The problem that I have with that is not the idea of forfeiting, like, your body, 
mm-hmm. to the other person. I think that we are called to sacrificially give of ourselves and of our bodies to our spouse. The problem is you're forfeiting all control of your body. That mm-hmm. is not that is not actually true. Mm-hmm. I do not believe at all. The idea that, you know, you, you the, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Mm-hmm. It doesn't the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but only to his wife is not how the verse goes. Right. You both have a say over what happens to your body. The same way that if you're married to someone, you have a choice over what he does with his body. Hey, you're not allowed to have sex with anyone else. Yeah. You know, you're allowed to say, you know, hey, you're not allowed to treat me like that with your body. You're not allowed to do certain things with your body. You're totally allowed to. But you're mm-hmm. not allowed to also say, but now you must do this thing with your body. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem we're getting into here. Yeah. You know? Okay, here's number three. Ready? Okay. Okay. Both partners are forbidden to refuse the meeting of their mate's sexual needs. That's, no, that's, okay. Again, (laughs) in an overall discussion, yes, you have to meet the sexual needs of your partner if you want a marriage. You just do. That's really what differentiates a marriage from other relationships. Mm -hmm. If you aren't willing to have sex with someone, don't marry them. Mm-hmm. But that's a big but because if you're in an unsafe relationship or what if they're like, hey, I want to have sex with you, but I only want to have sex in one particular way where I'm using you and you're not going to get anything out of it. Um, no, you're allowed to say no. It's, that's just ridiculous. If you're allowed to say, I'm sorry, if you have some, if you are pregnant and you are incredibly sick, you are allowed to say, I'm sorry, sweetie, I am making your child. Mm-hmm. So you got a deal. You know, mm-hmm. you're allowed to say that sometimes. If you've had a really bad day and you're just not in the mood, you're like, you know what? Not tonight. You know, if your spouse did something really, really pig-headed and mean and you're just like, you know what? I don't want to have sex with you right now because you're a pig-headed mean person right now. <laughs> you're allowed to say no. And that's not meaning that you're not a good spouse. That means that you're not putting up with childish, immature behavior and you're holding out for a real relationship. Yeah, and you know, and it's interesting in our, in our surveys and something that we're going to be saying in our book is what what we found is this idea that you're not allowed to say no that that there's an obligation sex message has really bad ramifications really really terrible ramifications for women's ability to orgasm for women's rates of sexual pain yeah Um, just everything that could go bad with sex it makes it go bad yeah so this is not the way to phrase it now okay tmi (laughs) oh dear (laughs) so when i read this book i remember feeling, wait a minute, I don't get a choice anymore. Yeah. That is what I felt over and over again when I read this book. And I had been so excited about sex. And um, and that's why I ended up drawing the book. And we'll, we'll get to some of the other quotes later. But that is this overwhelming thing. Like, wait a minute, why don't, don't I get a choice? Because what I was looking forward to was... Sex with someone who will forget is your father. For Craig, we have to just go into Craig and Shelley mode. Sorry, <laughs> for people who don't know, whenever I read my mom's stuff, because we work together, I actually, I don't see it as Keith and Sheila. I, we have um, dubbed it Craig and Shelley whenever we're reading these books. Just for anyone who hasn't heard that yet. So, you know, Shelley was excited about getting to, you know, you know, have yes. some fun with Craig. <laughs> But then this book was like, actually, Craig gets to pretty much rape you if he wants, Shelly, and you have yeah. nothing to do. You yeah. have no say in it because, well, you chose to marry the guy, so you chose and to... And even though he would never have done that, it, no. was, it was the idea that it was no longer in my control. Okay. Exactly. So then there's this interesting... We're only on page 25. I don't even know how many of these we're going to get through. Ugh. But <laughs> but then there's 
this interesting quote. So he, he's talking about a woman who had never experienced an orgasm and couldn't relax during sex and felt guilty. And he says this, when asked when she first had these guilt feelings, she admitted to heavy petting before marriage that violated her Christian principles and the warning of her parents. She finally conceded our whole four-year courtship seemed to be a continuous scene of Tom trying to seduce me and me fighting him off. I made too many compromises and I'm honestly amazed that we didn't go the whole route before our wedding. After we were married, it just seemed to be more of the same. Why did God include the sex business in marriage anyway? Mm. Any thoughts on that one? Well, it's just sad that she, uh, it makes total sense that she believes she had to be the sexual gatekeeper. And so why are you suddenly supposed to let your guard down? That can be really hard for people to get over. Yeah. And that's something that comes up again and again in these books is there's no, there's no expectation that men are going to treat women with respect. Yeah, or there's no understanding that, you know, maybe it's both of their responsibility. And maybe the whole heavy petting and stuff she felt guilty about, like, yeah, she could have shouldered 100% of that burden, but maybe she was never meant to, and maybe her fiancé kind of let her down in that area, too. Yeah, and here's just two pages later, another okay. another anecdote. Susie, so this is someone different, it's a different person than the, than the one I just read you. Susie began her counseling interview by grumbling, Our problem is Bill is a beast. All he ever thinks of is sex, sex, sex. Ever since I met him, it seems I've been fighting him off. Yeah, and see, this is why I get concerned about all these all men lust kind of messages that we hear in the church a lot, where it's like all men are just going to, they all want sex, and it's a God-given desire, and that's all the guys are ever going to want from you, and it's your responsibility to make sure you stay a virgin and all that kind of thing. Because then these women marry guys who maybe aren't actually really considering their needs mm -hmm. and their wants and their desires because they have been brainwashed as well to believe, well, it really is all about my sexual needs. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of just ignore red flags. Like if from the minute you meet a guy, he's trying to get you into bed, maybe that should be a red flag to think maybe this isn't the great Christian guy mm -hmm. that I thought I had. You know, and this is different than like a normal amount of like temptation and stuff. But when you feel the whole time like he's just, you're trying to battle this guy off, why would you marry him? Unless you have this unconscious belief that there are no such things as good guys who will respect you. And that's why we need to stop saying all these horrible messages about how all men are always going to lust after women and there's nothing men can do to stop the temptation of porn addiction and there's absolutely nothing that men can do to keep them in their pants unless they're getting enough. Mm -hmm. And here's, he, he goes on to explain the same situation with Susie and Bill. So basically Bill wants it all the time and Susie doesn't. He says, Susie had three problems. She did not like sexual relations. She did not understand Bill's needs. And she was more interested in herself than in her husband. When she confessed her sin of selfishness and learned what loving really meant to him, it changed their bedroom life. Okay, but like, who's being selfish? If she's like, hi, I don't want to have sex. And he's like, okay, but do you want to have sex though? Like, who's being <laughs> selfish? Yeah. Like... It, it, what I'm talking about when they're dating, okay? But also when they're married. Like, if she doesn't want it and she doesn't like it, maybe the focus isn't, I'm not getting enough. Maybe the focus is, oh, maybe I'm bad in bed. Yeah, and that's the thing. He never says once, maybe Bill should figure out how to make sure she's having an orgasm. Although, he, to be fair, the, book, the, the yes. book is really geared towards that later on. Yes. But the solution here is for her to realize she's sinning by not recognizing that she is responsible for having sex as much as he wants it. And there's no onus put on him. Yeah, the problem is that the book says 
Both partners have needs. Both partners are made to experience pleasure. Both partners are meant to experience as a wonderful gift from God. But he has to have it first. And so she can't get her needs met until she makes sure that his needs are getting met. So once we make sure he's getting all the sex that he wants, then we can figure out how to make it actually good for her. Mm -hmm. Whereas why can't it be we need to make sure it's good for both of them first? Yeah. And then we can sort out the frequency issue. Yeah. And then, okay, okay, just two pages later, seriously, this is going to take forever if I go at this rate. But just two pages later... Talking about the same people, he says, in human relations, attitude is everything. And this is certainly true of lovemaking. If either person looks on it as a duty to perform, that attitude will soon be perceived by his or her mate. So the same guy who's like, this is your duty and your obligation, but you can't see it as your duty and exactly. your obligation. Okay. Yeah. So just as long as, as you understand that. Okay. So good. Now we're all on the same page. <laughs> so maybe stop saying it's a duty and an obligation. That's just, I don't know. That's just what comes to my mind. That's just what comes up first when I think of it is I don't want it to be a duty and obligation. Maybe stop saying it's a duty and obligation, but that's just me. Okay. I guess I just can't help but wonder. All these men who are writing these books saying, like, women should be able to orgasm and enjoy sex a ton, but then they're still so focused and on obligation. Like, do they actually believe that women do like sex? Or do they just believe that this is this mythical holy grail that women should like sex and should want sex, but it's not really going to happen. So we got to convince them they have to have it anyway. Like, are these all men who just simply don't have wives who actually enjoy sex? Well, I think his wife does because in the book, this, this is what I find so confusing. Like it just seems so counterproductive the way they talk about it. And here, here, here's, so as he is instructing women about this, about their attitude, he says this, a wise and considerate woman goes out of her way to let her man know that he is a good lover and that she enjoys their relations together. Okay. But what if he's not? (laughs) Yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't come up here. Really? Yeah. Oh, gosh. So he can be, like, you know, done in 20 seconds, and And she doesn't enjoy it at all. Because it won't register to him as a good sexual encounter unless... He thinks that he was just an absolute... Yeah, because because one of his principles for what men need is it fulfills his manhood when she enjoys it. Okay, so maybe he should focus on teaching teaching himself how to get his wife to enjoy it. Yes. Yeah, but again, Mm -hmm. this is, this is... But this is what we see a lot, right? Both spouses have needs that are very important and both are um, both are vital, but his always come first. Yeah. So it's more important that he feels like he's a good lover than that he's actually a good lover. Yeah, so that's a bit of a problem, it seems to me. Oh, okay, you're going to love this one. A man sacrifices a great deal when he gets married, or at least he thinks so. As a single man, he is rather carefree and unpressured. If he wishes to spend a night out with the boys, he doesn't have to give an account of his whereabouts. So he's... He's sacrificing a lot to get married. Oh, okay. Well, how gracious of him, who apparently doesn't have to be a very good lover. But, you know, so what he's saying is pretty much like this poor, poor man doesn't get to go out for a brewski with the dudes. And so instead, he has to come home to you where you can give him all the sex that he wants and tell him, wow, you rocked my world after 45 seconds in the sack. Okay. Poor dude. Okay. And then, okay, I'm just going to read this one. Are you ready? No. No prelude. This is this is a different section of the book, so we've now moved on. A sage once said, a woman is the most complex creature on earth. Certainly no reasonable man would claim to understand her fully. However, after dealing with hundreds of these delicate creatures in the privacy yeah. of the counseling room, my wife and I have discovered to a greater extent what the act of marriage means to a woman. These delicate creatures? I'm sorry. Whenever men talk about women like these delicate creatures, these wondrous beauties, it's like, don't 
just icky. <laughs> it's just really weird. It's really patronizing. It's like the fact that I can go places as a mid-twenties woman and people call me things like, oh, you're so cute. Like, grown men mm-hmm. will call them cute or adorable and stuff like that. And it's like, um, I'm a grown-up. Yeah. Like, this is really weird. Stop fetishizing just the fact that they're women. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just odd. Like, stop treating women like they're little specimens to study and unlock. Yes. So then, okay, so now we're talking about what, what goes into women's appreciation of sex. Okay. And one of the things is that sex fulfills her womanhood. If she considers herself unsuccessful in bed, she will have a difficult time accepting her total womanhood. Well, I mean, to be fair, they said the same thing for men. No, they, they said unfulfilled. He... Oh, so he's unfulfilled, but she's unsuccessful. Yeah. Oh, yes. See, that's, <laughs> that's something else. Okay. <laughs> so pretty much, if he's not happy, it's her fault. And if she's not happy, it's her fault. And so pretty much, men are useless in bed. <laughs> because nothing can be on their shoulders. Yes. That's so ridiculous. Like, men can be good in bed. If a woman does not feel... Like, granted, if a woman is having problems with orgasm, there's often a lot more of a mental and psychological component that she can also help get over herself. Whereas for men, it that doesn't seem to be as much of a hurdle in the same way. So, like, yeah, it may feel more personal because you feel like there's something wrong with me. But at the same time, why are we putting it all on women all of the time? Yeah, so here he's talking about what it is that a woman needs. And... Um, and he talks about how sex reassures her of her husband's love because many people are unaware of the five kinds of love required by a woman. And then he lists all these kinds of love. And this kind of bothers me. Mm-hmm. I'll see if it bothers you for the same reason. Okay. But d- do you have any comments on that one? I want to know what the five kinds of love are. Oh, um, com- let me see. Companionship, compassionate, romantic, affectionate, and passionate. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that having sex totally, like, one of the very important parts of having sex for both men and women is to feel like you're secure and that the person loves you and the, like, I think that's one of the main um, benefits of sex and marriage. Right, but you just said for both men and women. And yeah. that's the problem, is oh. that this is being presented as for women. Only for women. Men yeah. are never really cons- Because what they need is ejaculation. Yeah. No. <laughs> No, sorry. Because God God created our fundamental need. Like, sex is fundamentally about intimacy, and it's about a deep knowing of each other. Mm -hmm. And we may have different gateways to get there. Like, he may feel more of a um, physical drive, but it's like the physical drive is gateway to emotional connection. For Mm -hmm. her, emotional connection may be the gateway to physical drive. And for many women, it's the opposite. Yeah, and for many men, it's the opposite, too. But it doesn't mean that they both don't need both. Yeah, exactly. It's not, it's like, if you like to have a glass of water before you eat, or if you like to eat and then have a glass of water, you both still need food and water. Right, exactly. Yeah, and, and this idea that women, you know, need love, but men don't, is just really weird or if men a lot of times what i see and especially when i'm reading from these quotes in the book is that what he he equates sex with love for men Mm -hmm. whereas for women sex and love are separate right sex is the gateway to love and i think that's the difference is that for men too love is separate from sex like we get so many comments all the time from men who are like listen she'll give me all the sex that i want but i don't feel connected it means nothing to me Like, these men also need the emotional connection. Mm -hmm. All right, so talking about this need for connection, 
He says this, a woman never loses the need to be romanced, whereas a man doesn't even possess it. Oh, gosh. His emotions are near the surface and easily ignited. Hers are deep and burn slowly. Oh, gosh. I will say, like, let's talk about your sister. Or even just me and my husband. Like, <laughs> neither me nor Connor has a really high need for romance. No. No. We're pretty much, like, just, let's just eat popcorn and watch Netflix. And that's yeah. ideal for both of us. Yeah. But I think in all three of us, you, me, and Katie, all, all of us are very different. Yes, very Katie's different. Katie's very, very, a much more girly homemaker. Mm-hmm. You're a little bit more tomboy, like very different. Yes. But all three of us have husbands. Who are like really, really sweet. And more romantic than we are. I think so. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and Katie's husband is a military dude. Yeah, like, my sister's married to a guy who hunts, he's in the military, he's... During coronavirus, he's doing skull art in the basement? Yeah, no, just, like... Not human skulls. Oh, yeah, that's... <laughs> Rabbits and things. Yeah, no, but he has he has really kind of more typical manly hobbies kind of thing, you know? And, like, my husband is more of the kind of techie kind of thing. He likes to, you know, he's... What's the... I don't want to make it sound like he's just a nerd, but... Connor, you can insert uh, any description of yourself as you would like. Of course, yes. I am a nerd. But, you know, we're more of the couple where, you know, he's going to be playing video games with friends, and, you know, he and I are going to get really down some rabbit hole and talk about things or read books and that kind of thought, that kind of side of things. But both of us have husbands who are very, very affectionate. Mm-hmm. And who are really actually, I think, well, I don't know if, Katie's pretty darn romantic, but like, yeah. in ter- for in our relationship, I would definitely say Connor's more romantic than I am. Yeah, I think 100%. All so, so yes, so I, I don't like these, and there's a lot of stereotypes of women, and I know this book was written a long time ago, but these stereotypes, what we found in looking at all kinds of marriage books and sex books, and we've, we've read about 20 of them so far, are very common. Yeah, and I think that it's just kind of ridiculous that we keep on believing that you know, men are these incredibly shallow, carnal beasts, mm-hmm. and women are completely out of touch with their carnal side. Right, because that's you know? actually not true. No, we yeah. both have a physical side and we both have an emotional side, and we need to encourage each gender to embrace both of them. Yes. And each person, because sometimes person. it's the woman with more of the physical side who needs to embrace the emotional, and sometimes yeah. it's the man with more of the emotional side to embrace yeah. the physical. It doesn't, it doesn't always work that way. Uh, and so in this, in this chapter, what lovemaking means to a woman, he does say this, we have consistently noted that women who have no desire for sexual intercourse are nervous women. Well, maybe the reason they don't want sex is because they don't feel safe or they just don't feel like it's very good for them. Or maybe they are someone who's more anxious in general. And so they need someone to come alongside them, make them feel like they matter and they have a voice and they have a say so they can relax. Mm-hmm. The answer to a nervousness when it comes to intimacy and sex is not to say, oh, well, you don't have a choice, so buck up and get Stop on it. being nervous. It's yeah. to address the root issue of what's going on. Exactly. You're going to have better sex long term if you can deal with the fact that your wife has this, you know, confusing belief about her body or about sex and deal with it instead of just pushing through it and making there be trauma long term. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm going to skip over the chapter on sex education. It has some great quotes, but it was we don't have really time. Long. We don't have time. In chapter six, The Art of Lovemaking, he explains how sex works. 
He talks about how the ultimate objective is orgasm for both the husband and wife. Which he talks good. about what the honeymoon should be like. Um, what I found difficult reading this many years ago was it, it was like he was giving a play-by-play of what you're supposed to do on the honeymoon. Yeah. And I, I kind of felt that was intrusive. I think we're going to talk about that concept in a different podcast, so I'll let that go for a minute. But in Chapter 6, where he talks about the art of lovemaking, he goes into how women can be stimulated, how uh, we don't reach climax just through intercourse. We do need clitoral stimulation. He talks... At length about how to do that. I found uh, some of that a little bit creepy because it felt a little bit paint by numbers and we'll be talking about that in a different podcast with a different book, some of the issues I had there. But on the whole, this really was one of the first books that, that talked about how women deserve to feel pleasure and how to get there. So that was good. And this, and we're not trying to say through this that this book was one that was actively, you know, causing harm that it knew about and ignored it the way that Love and Respect did, you know. But mm-hmm. um, we're just saying that even in some of the books that did pretty okay on the rubric, they still have some really major issues that mm-hmm. can cause a lot of dysfunction. Right. Okay. So now we're. I, I want to move to the to the chapter for women only, just about how women can get the right attitude about sex. And I want to read. This is a longer quote and a longer episode. Okay. Okay. Hello, Connor again with the trigger warning mentioned earlier. If you don't want to hear this next part, please skip ahead three minutes or to the thirty-two minutes and thirty-second mark. I will give some time now for you to pause and skip ahead if you would like. Thank you. who was sexually unresponsive told the following story in the counseling room. About two weeks before her marriage, her aunt Matilda caught her and psychologically marred her for the first five years of marriage. Apparently her aunt, whose marriage was arranged by her parents in the old country, found herself petrified of sex on her wedding night. When her embarrassed and clumsy farmer husband, who was 20 years older, brought her to the wedding bed, he stripped me naked and raped me in my own bed. I fought and screamed to no avail. My virginity was gone and I cried for three days. I have hated sex faithfully for 35 years. Her conclusion to her niece was, as far as I'm concerned, marriage is just legalized rape. As much as one may feel compassion for poor Aunt Matilda and her equally unhappy spouse, we can hardly envision more unhealthy concepts to pump into the impressionable young mind of a bride-to-be. It is little wonder that it took her her niece several years and several counseling experiences to overcome such disastrous ideas. And then he goes on to say how much better it would be if this young, for this young bride, if her mother had given her positive messages, because such young virgins could then be mentally fortified against the false notions of Aunt Matilda and rarely become women who disdain sex. Yeah, so her spouse who raped her was equally as unhappy. And that is flat-out marital rape, too. That's not just coercion. That is, he was holding her down as she screamed. Yeah. How on earth could you say that he was equally as unhappy? He is evil and should be in prison. Yeah, and and I find it interesting that, that he describes this man as clumsy. No, that is evil and sadistic. That's yeah. what that is. That's not mm-hmm. clumsy. Clumsy is, oops, I slipped off the bed while we were doing something sexy, and now the mood is gone. Not holding someone down while they're, like, screaming for you to stop. Yeah. That's like a special victims unit episode. That yes. is, like, where we yes. all want the guy to get castrated. Like, yes. that's not a good thing. Right. That's not a, oh, poor him, you got an unresponsive wife. That's a, um, okay, who's calling the police, and can we all kind of line up and punch the dude? Like, yeah. 
You yeah, know? and and that's like the, who's rescuing Aunt Matilda? Like Aunt Matilda can come and live with me. Yeah, I'm we'll reading put this padlocks thing. on the door. We will save Aunt Matilda. <laughs> yeah, I'm reading this and I'm feeling such tremendous sympathy. For like this Aunt poor Matilda, woman. Aunt Matilda needs to leave the dude and like rescue puppies for the rest of her life. <laughs> like I'm sorry, but like she needs someone to like help her just get out and just have some joy yeah. again. And deal with that trauma because that's yeah. yeah and and I think to portray it like that is horrendous. to portray an act of marital rape and then to make it sound like Matilda's the one in the wrong and and it was almost like he was saying how ridiculous is that she feels like she was being raped she was married it's like oh my gosh mm-hmm. mm-hmm like someone needs to give that woman a new lease on life and tell her hey none of this is your fault and you're allowed to be angry and you're allowed to seek justice and you're allowed to ask for better. Okay, here's, let's move on, because that, that one's sad. Uh, he's now talking about how a woman's mental attitude is the key to the use of her sexual apparatus. The okay. use of her sexual, okay. Yes, so her mental attitude, and by the way, I know this sounds like a really old book and we're just picking on it, but just I just want everyone to remember, this book sold millions of copies and the majority of pastors who are pastoring today got their sex education from this book. Yeah. And so that's why it was it was like the landmark book in the 80s and 90s. Everybody read it. If you were married in the 80s and 90s, you read this book. And so pastors who are in their 40s and, and 50s today got married with this book. And so this is what shaped their yeah. sexual teaching. Which All is right? explaining a lot, to be honest. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so so he's, he's talking about how a woman needs to have the right attitude and, for, her, for sex to work. And then he says this. He talks about how a woman is scared that her female organs are too small and he can't and she can't function like other women. And he says modern research indicates that all female organs like those of their male counterparts are approximately the same size regardless of the person's size. <laughs> so he's okay. That's I'm just Can I make okay. Um <laughs> I would just say men have a wide range of sizes. Yes, they do. Do we not understand that? Like, is he just saying that all dudes are shaped the same? Like, (laughs) we get messages from women where it's like, hey, my husband's too big, it hurts. Or, hey, my husband's too small, I don't feel anything. Like, Mm there is a wide range. Like, But the other thing is, like, what he's denying here is is that it's possible to feel sexual pain. Yeah. It's all in her head. Yeah, I just, I, I still think it's just kind of funny that he's like, all men are the same size. I was like, well, no, that's not actually true either. Yeah. Yeah. But and yeah, no, that's just, that's just a fundamental misunderstanding of just the basic biological yeah. reality. And so to women who are scared that sex isn't working or that they're experiencing pain, he says, anxiety over one's ability to function sexually is the primary cause of sexual malfunction. Hmm. Yeah, no. Huh. I think, well, and it's difficult because anxieties do make it worse. Yes. You know, when you are nervous, it makes the pain worse because you can't get aroused and because you can't loosen up as much. And so it makes the pain far, far worse. Mm-hmm. And that's what my midwives talked about a lot as we were, like, you know, as I was dealing with postpartum stuff, right? Was, you know, just you got to find out a way to relax because being stressed makes it worse Mm -hmm. but it wasn't a problem because of stress it was because I had pushed a child out of myself right you know like (laughs) again this just sounds like a man I don't know what his like uh, what his background is or anything but Mm -hmm. it just sounds like someone who's maybe worked a lot in the psychological realm but believes therefore he's able to work in the biological one as well 
Yeah. And yeah. again, I do want to let people know too, like as someone who studied psychology, just because someone's a psychologist does not mean they know what they're talking about. Yeah. I will tell you that flat out. Like yeah. there are a lot of my profs who were psychologists who had absolutely no clue about the most basic things in a different psycholo- psychological area. Mm-hmm. You know, I couldn't ask my prof on language development on anything on ADHD because mm-hmm. he just didn't know yeah. and vice versa. And yeah. so we need to really not only look at, well, is this person educated, but also what are they educated in? How have they shown that they actually know what they're talking about? And does this actually make sense of what research actually says? If a guy says all penises are the same size, and you're like, well, micropenises are a thing. Yeah. Then, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and sexual pain is a thing. And interestingly, yes. um, uh, you know, one of the things that our survey uncovered is that women have sexual, I think it was, I'm afraid to throw out a number because Joanna will get upset at me, but I'm pretty sure the number was somewhere close to 8%. I don't remember. But it was it was higher than we thought of yeah. women who have had primary vaginismus, which is, you know, sexual pain um, that isn't related to postpartum issues. Yes. Uh, and then the number of women who experience postpartum pain is astronomically higher which, than that. Which is what has been found throughout all studies. Right. Like and up yet, to, I think, 30 to 40% is what's been yes. estimated. And yet these books... I, in all of the books that we read, only The Gift of Sex handled that well. Yeah. Most books didn't even mention the fact that women might experience pain. Yeah, and that's just a problem. Because it's really important that in a marriage you feel like your husband doesn't just see your pain as as inconveniencing him or not allowing you to fulfill your marital duty, but as a problem that is both of your responsibility to fix and is something that he is not willing to deal with and, and that he is not willing to simply let be ignored, but he wants to see fixed as well. Mm-hmm. For your sake, not just his. Mm-hmm. Chapter 9. Um... He is talking about uh, the unfulfilled woman, which is good. I'm glad that he's finally mentioned that women can be unfulfilled too, because earlier in the book he only said they were unsuccessful in bed, but now he's admitting they can be unfulfilled, so that is good. Um, He says, The strangest paradox in the realm of sexuality is the widespread idea that a woman's orgasmic capability is less than a man's, whereas in reality it can be even greater. Yeah, and that's a really good thing for people to know. Mm -hmm. And that's really good that he's showing that it's not just that men can get there. Women can get there too and, you know more yep amen and then and then he says that if if she's having difficulty reaching orgasm it is more likely his problem than hers awesome awesome so so far so good yeah great job yes now we get to this <laughs> oh dear <laughs> <laughs> okay so he's I, i'm gonna read this to you because it's, it's a longer passage and i okay. think it needs some context at the conclusion of a seminar a 26 year old mother of three children asked me Would you explain why I am unable to respond to my husband after six years of marriage? She not only had never reached orgasm, but she also quickly acknowledged I hate sex. What amazed me most was the fact that she described her husband as kind and considerate even after no sexual relations in two years. That violated my long-standing conviction that a woman will always respond to a man who is kind, considerate, and thoughtful of her. it really does he not understand that there might be other issues going on yeah like i understand what he's saying that a lot of women don't like sex because they're married to pigs and he's probably Mm -hmm. trying to help women who are married to pigs Mm -hmm. right except that he sold the aunt matilda story earlier which is very problematic right 
But this is that whole mentality where women only need emotional, men only need physical, and we don't understand that they both need both. Mm -hmm. Because it's not like a woman gets orgasmic because of emotional stuff. She she doesn't orgasm when he brings her breakfast in bed. She orgasms because of what he's doing to her in bed. Right? right? And so, but there's this this disconnect here where it's like, oh, but he was nice, so why didn't you orgasm? Well, maybe he's a nice guy who doesn't know what to do in bed. Yeah. Okay, but that's not the issue here. Oh. But you're right. You're right. But that's not the issue that he's bringing up here. So here's the issue. So... He asked her this question. Describe the relationship between you and your father. Her lovely features immediately changed as she angrily berated him as a miserable excuse for a human being. He is the biggest hypocrite I have ever seen. He is an official in this church, yet he has molested both of my younger sisters and has tried to be fresh with me. Although suspicious by her reaction that she wasn't telling me everything about her father's relation with her, to save time, I asked, do you really want to freely love your husband? Certainly, was her reply. Then you had better forgive your father. Get on your knees and confess your sins of resentment and bitterness, for you cannot indulge in bitterness towards one person without it spilling over and spoiling your relationship with those you love. Oh my gosh. But he doesn't deserve that forgiveness, she replied. No, but your husband does. You are not responsible for your father's behavior, but you are responsible for your reaction to it. God holds you accountable to forgive others their trespasses and sins, and what he commands us to do, he will always enable us to do. She started to cry, and in a moment, in a matter of moments, she dropped to her knees, confessing her sin. Wow. No, have you seen a counselor? Do you need to get some help for trauma? Because obviously, if, he, if she's very open with the fact that he molested her sisters and that he was trying to get with her, odds are something happened. And even, mm-hmm. if, even if nothing ever happened, the fact that your dad tries to do something to you is traumatic in and of itself. Yeah. Like, that is incredibly disturbing. And so the fact that it's like, oh, well, obviously it's your fault, not you've gone through this trauma you need to deal with. That's just horrible. Yeah. And so there's no, there's no recognition of sexual trauma and its effects on women. Yeah, that's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Okay, then there's this one. He's talking about how hostility devastates your marriage as well. Again, we're talking about the unfulfilled woman, so the reason why women may not be reaching orgasm. So the women, the, the reason is, first of all, not because she was abused, but because she can't just simply forget about the abuse. Right. So. Yeah, and then here's another illustration. A minister's wife of 22 years came in to explain that she was having an affair with the choir director. What would cause a mother of three, a virgin when married and never unfaithful before, to violate... Her Christian principles with a three times divorced Don Juan who has pursued affairs with two choir members. The same thing that it had impaired her orgasmic capability during the past two years. Deep-rooted hatred of her husband, who had always been a stern disciplinarian. She complained, his awful beatings of our children made me ill. What? Two years ago, our 19-year-old son left home to join a commune because he couldn't do anything to please his father. When she finally stopped looking at her husband's sins, she could face her own scarlet sin. Then she repented and asked God to restore her love for her husband, which he did. What? No. If your husband is physically beating your children, you call CPS. Yeah. That's what you do. And you don't say, oh, well, I should really be able to have sex with this guy the way that he wants it. No, you leave. I'm sorry. Your husband is beating your children to the point that you're getting ill. Like, oh my freaking goodness. This this is the problem, though. Like this, It's like this man who wrote this book really believes that women should be able to experience sexual pleasure. And I think he really likes women. That's the thing. Like, I get a, I, in a lot of these books, like when I was reading Love and Respect, I actually got the feeling that Emerson Anguish does not even actually like women no, or respects think, them at all. I no. think that he thinks that they are kind of a necessary evil in the world. Yeah. That is what the impression that I get. And they're, and and they're put on earth to serve men. 
Yes, and to kind of, you know, help men get stronger from having to deal with the women. Yes. Stuff like that. Anyway, but there's, I don't get that impression from what Tim LaHaye is saying. No, I, no and, I, I, and I don't either. I think that he genuinely wanted to help. Yeah, but the problem is that this is a man who clearly does not understand abuse, trauma, biologically women, like just mm-hmm. g- women's just general biology. He doesn't understand the very basic things that go into healthy sexuality or just healthy sexual experience. And yet he's saying these things that are inherently damaging as a result in his efforts to help. And that's what's sad about this mm-hmm. because he keeps on saying these things where it's like, yeah, great. This guy gets it, but oh no, no, that's rape. That's, that's, you, oh gosh. Like, that's the problem. Yep. Okay, here's, here's how he, uh, how he sums up this whole issue. Guilt is a common cause of orgasmic malfunction, as verified by the fact that every book we have read in the subject refers to it. Whether related to an attempted rape for which the unwilling victim feels guilty, or an ill-advised adulterous liaison experienced prior to marriage, or promiscuity before or after marriage, guilt is a cruel taskmaster that must be confronted spiritually. As a pastoral counselor, I've been privileged to lead many women to the forgiving grace of God, either through acceptance of Christ as their Savior or applying the cleansing principle of 1 John 1, 9. And that is, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Getting things straightened out with God has so relieved their guilty consciences that orgasmic malfunction ceases. And see, I think that he's conflating a lot of these areas of guilt because I do believe that if you and your boyfriend fooled around a lot or if you fooled around with previous boyfriends and you're and that guilt is eating you up inside I think that could totally keep you from being able to experience sex in that mm-hmm. positive light you know I that would totally keep you from being able to truly lose control because you learn that when you lose control bad things happen in terms of you feeling bad about yourself right but he lumps that in with, like, the woman who someone tried to rape her. Yes, exactly. That's the problem. And this is what we're talking about. This book gets it so close so often, but then it just goes so far off the mark where it's like, what on earth? <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, you know, feelings of guilt in the past. You went too far, and sex has a bad taste in your mouth. Well, that I can't say that. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know Connor's going to leave oh, that gosh. <laughs> problem with my husband editing the podcast he leaves in all of my little innuendos i accidentally say no but it it, it makes sex it makes sex not as great because you're feeling guilty about past sex experiences that you have willingly chosen is very different than having like flashbacks or ptsd responses to you know past trauma or you know when people try to take things from you then you learn you can't let your guard down for a totally different reason they need to be treated differently mm-hmm. simply praying about how you were abused if that doesn't cure your sex life it's not just not enough faith it's because maybe you just need actual trauma therapy yeah exactly and sometimes the reason that we are feeling this false guilt there is a good reason for it yeah and, and we need and that's why uh, I do not recommend biblical counselors yes, at all. Licensed counselors, please. There, but there are some wonderful biblical counselors. Honestly, it's just that you never know who they are. Exactly, and you can't know because there is no proper licensing. It's very problematic. Some of the ways they're trained. Okay, so so we talked about guilt being bad, hostility being bad, anger being bad. This is what what ruins a woman's sexual response. And now there's fear. Ready? Yeah. Almost every virtuous bride understandably goes to her wedding bed with a good deal of trepidation. Oh! So if you aren't scared of your spouse, then you're not holy enough. Yes! 
Okay. Okay, guys. Like, I, I understand. <laughs> like, okay. I can understand a virgin going... Also, I hate that he says a virtuous bride. Like, the only virtuous brides are those who are virgins, first yes. of all. That's horrible in and of itself, and not yes. at all what Paul was saying. No, because who... Why are we virtuous? What makes us virtuous? Well, obviously, the t- attack of our hymen. <laughs> oh, no, wait. That's not in the Bible. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Don't know what book that's from. Yeah. No. Yeah. The, the reason... I, I say this all the time. You know, your purity is not based on what you did with your body. Your purity is based on what Jesus did with his. And we need to stop seeing virginity as the equivalent of purity. Purity. Yeah. And if he had said there, like, almost every virginal bride goes Mm -hmm. to their wedding night with a bit of trepidation, like, that, I don't actually necessarily disagree with that. Because, you know, if you don't know what you're getting into. Is it going to hurt? Or it might be excited trepidation, but it's kind of like, it's the same way that when, you know, you move off to university for the first time and it's like, I don't know what's coming next, but I know it's going to be good. Mm-hmm. You are a bit trepidatious, you know, like, yeah. but, it, but the, the idea that almost every virtual, virtual, huh? virtuous bride is going to be trepidatious on their, it's just like the mark of virtue is being scared of sex. Yeah. It's kind of weird. But okay. you're not allowed to be scared of sex or else you won't be able to have an orgasm. So don't be scared of sex. But if you're not scared of sex, then you're a harlot. Yes. So, okay. Okay, good. Now, also you can't, you shouldn't be passive. Okay. But, and I I didn't read these quotes, but earlier in the book, he said that women are made to be responders and that men initiate. Okay. But now we're not allowed to be passive. Oh, okay. Okay. And here's, here's what he says about many women are much too passive in lovemaking. Their maidenly inhibitions and misconceptions compel them to lie on their backs and allow the vigorous young husbands to satisfy themselves. Oh, that's icky. That's just a nope, nope. That's just a nope, nope. I'm not even going to comment on that. If I need to comment on that, you need to take a good hard look at yourself why you don't see that's creepy. So we're just going to move past that. Okay. Men have a higher rate of orgasm largely because they are more it, it, active. Okay. It was creepy because it makes her sound like a blow-up doll. Okay, keep going. Okay. Just, just putting that in Okay, there. okay. Men have a higher rate of orgasm largely because they are more active in lovemaking. Oh, no. Men have a higher rate of orgasm because it's all just kind of there. Yeah. It's, just, it's easier <laughs> to deal with. You don't have the... Like, there isn't vaginismus for men in the same no. way. You know, and, like... And the clitoris ain't up there in the vagina. Exactly. So, yeah. mm-hmm. No. Men orgasm more because sex is easier for men to orgasm through. Okay. But while we're at how women shouldn't be passive, okay, okay, five pages later, he says, the very nature of the act of marriage involves feminine surrender. But to a strong-willed, choleric woman, surrender in any way is difficult. Consequently, she will often subvert her sex drive and responses to avoid surrender. Did she, did he actually say choleric woman? Like, hip, hip, like, uh... C H O L E R I C. Yeah, no, that's like the, the ancient Greek idea that you have four different... Um, fluids in your body and yeah. um, a balance of each. Well, I think one. in the eighties there was this personality thing, and, oh. and Col- choleric was one of the personality. Yeah, types. but it's based on that whole. Yes, mess. that's ridiculous. Yes. So basically, what this is saying is that if you are a strong-willed type A woman, we will subvert your sex drive because the only way that you can have good sex is to not be a strong, a, a type A strong-willed woman. Oh, okay. But you're also not supposed to be passive in bed. So you're supposed to be a type AB woman. <laughs> so you just kind of go back and forth. It's and very only, confusing for everyone. And only, yeah, so you can't be passive. But you can't be active. But you can't be strong-willed. Okay, so you have to kind of like be like, come and get it if you want to. But yes, no? <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're going to like this one. Now, okay. would you describe yourself, first of all, as a strong-willed type A person? Uh, <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay, 
Typical of many choleric women, she resented being a woman. Oh! She liked to lead, make decisions, and dominate everything. Oh, because Deborah also wasn't a woman in the Bible. Okay. Yeah, yeah. My, my favorite model of, of biblical womanhood is jail. Yes. Tent peg through the head. Tent peg through Cicero's head. Yeah, okay. All right. As we know, in sexual intercourse, as in life, man is the actor, woman the passive one, the receiver, the acted upon. Oh, okay. Again. But, but again, she's not allowed to be passive. Oh my gosh. This is just so gross. Okay, good. All right, so let's move on. <laughs> I don't, like, can you imagine if your spouse comes to be like, hi, can I act upon some sex on you? Like, it's just icky. <laughs> like, like, and obviously I wouldn't actually phrase it like that, but that's what sex always is. It's just weird. Okay. Oh, so. no, 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 but on top of that, he says that the reason men orgasm more is because they are the ones who are more active during sex. So she needs to be more active during sex. But he says the very nature of sex is that women aren't active. So women can orgasm, but because of sex is the way that it is, meh, sorry, ladies. Right. You're okay. probably not going to get okay. there. Now, to further clarify what he means. Oh, dear. We're going to move on to um, the, close to the end of the books, where, you know, the end is in sight. And he says this, practically every man has dreamed of having a sexually aggressive wife. But men also don't want sexually aggressive wives. Right, and and she needs to be able to surrender. Okay. Okay. And few sexually vigorous wives have impotent husbands. So women have to be passive because of the nature of sex. But if you're not passive, you're less likely to be impotent. Your husband's less likely to be impotent, but you're not allowed to be not passive. Right. So pretty much what he's saying is men don't get ED, their wives just get old. Yes. Because maybe. the issue is that <laughs> impotence is all about how virile she is. Mm-hmm. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Again, impotence is not about what your wife does. Impotence is, especially in younger couples, it's mainly either cardiovascular issues due to health or underlying heart conditions. And so again, as we say every single time we say this, if you are a young person and you have ED, you see your doctor immediately. Yeah. And he actually says in the book that the vast majority of ED is caused by psychological issues, not medical. Okay. And I think, I, I don't know the, the studies and on that. No, I know that there Keith, are... Keith looked it up because I told him yeah. about this. He says, no, most no. of them are physical. Yeah. But there is there is a large Especially with pornography. With pornography. And with stress at work. Stress at work can affect this. But we all know that ED increases as people age. Yeah. Because it is related to your body. So, yeah. But what he says is that it's related to having a wife... A feminine dominant wife. So pretty much if you have a dominant wife, you're less likely to be impotent, but you're more likely to be impotent. Right. So he literally says both of those in a matter of a couple pages from each other. Yes. So he says very few impotent men have sexually dominating wives. Because right. do- sexually dominating wives, men are like, oh yeah, baby, let's get it on. But also, if you're impotent, it's probably because your wife was sexually dominating. Yes. See, how did this get past editors? That's, <laughs> that's what I'm wondering. You know, he just, yeah. And then um, the cure for retarded ejaculation, we now call this delayed ejaculation. Back yep. then they called it retarded ejaculation. Um, he, here, here's what he thinks the cause is. Psychologists suggest that the problem is created by a subconscious resistance to giving his sperm to his wife. Which psychologists? <laughs> if, it, if he says Freud, if he says no, Freud. No, there actually are very, very few... Uh, 
anything cited in this, there are no footnotes. Oh, so he gosh. just says stuff like that. You can't just say research says and not cite the research. Yeah. Because your research then, maybe I asked the dude in on his bike at the end of my driveway what he thought and he's like well I just don't want to get my wife any of my sperm and I'm like well that's the answer mm-hmm. you, you can't do that mm-hmm. that's ridiculous mm-hmm. okay now near the end of the book he gets into his surveys that he took oh dear um, I think it was 3,000 people so I love looking at other people's surveys yeah so we took a whole lot more one thing that he found was that oral sex is on the increase today yep that makes sense but here's why Thanks to amoral sex education, pornography, modern sex literature, and the moral breakdown of our times. Okay. I mean, I do think that likely in a lot of marriages, oral sex is more common because one or both spouse has a pornography issue because it's so commonly portrayed in porn. Mm-hmm. You know, and if oral sex is a one-sided experience yes. and it's something where he's demanding and she's giving or she's demanding without giving anything in return, mm-hmm. that's really not good because we're supposed to have recipro- like reciprocity in mm-hmm. our marriages, right? Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that oral sex is amoral. No. And it doesn't mean that it's on the rise because of it's because we're all just heathens now. Maybe yeah. it's that women are becoming more sexually confident because we have rights. Yeah, and, and again, one of the things that our surveys showed, which we'll be talking about, and, and we'll be putting this all in the stats for the Great Sex Rescue, which will be out next spring, is that most women who reach orgasm, and the good news is most women do reach orgasm. Yes, the vast majority of women. But it isn't through intercourse. No, it's often through other means, like oral sex or manual simulation. Right, and so when we start saying that we that oral sex is a sin, um, and that the only proper way to reach orgasm is through intercourse, we're actually denying women intercourse. And, and yes. that's one of the things that he really says in this book. His aim in this book is to teach people how to have simultaneous orgasms during intercourse. Which is just not even necessary. Like, I mean, good for you, make it a goal. Yeah, exactly. Okay, like, have fun. Have fun. Make it a goal. But to make it sound like that's the only way of doing it right. Or that's the way that God intended. And it's the only way that God intended. Well, what happens if, like, one of you has, like, major, like, um, you know, musculoskeletal pain where you have to kind of take turns because just, you know, intercourse just doesn't really work in the same way. Does that mean that God didn't design sex for you anymore? Mm -hmm. Does that mean your marriage has to be sexless because it can't be the way that God designed? No. Or, like, what if you're pregnant? Mm -hmm. Or what if, like, you know, there's just other things going on? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that you can't simply just kind of go one after another. Okay, just a quick... Uh, so at the end of the book, he answers a whole bunch of questions. One of them is this. Where can a Christian wife go for help when there is a sex problem in her marriage? And his answer is... Please don't say her husband or the Bible. Oh, no, it's even better than that. Okay. Your minister. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> like... Because you should talk to your spouse about it at least. But it's just all these places are like, talk to, like, ask your husband what you should do. Maybe your husband doesn't know what to do. So that's why I was like, don't you do it, your husband. But, but also, your minister a woman should not be going to their minister talking about a sex problem. No, that's so completely inappropriate. It's like, oh my word. I don't know what any of my pastors would have done if I'd ever done that. I think they all would be like, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not qualified. Please, please talk to literally anyone else. Mm-hmm. Like, that is ridiculous. Also, what pastors want to talk to their congregants about this? Yeah. Like, they're not qualified. Yeah. This is not why they, they're like, I want to go to seminary so I can really get the down and dirty of what's happening in my congregation. <laughs> like, this is not normal. And this shouldn't be normal. Like, if, if your pastor is asking about your sex life, mm-hmm. like, maybe that's a red flag. Yeah. 
You know, because yeah. if they think there's major sexual issues, the first response should be, you need professional help. This is a really sensitive area. Yeah, and you certainly don't want to be one-on-one. And you do not want to be no. one-on-one. Everyone's like, wow, how did they end up having an affair? Well, maybe they were talking about sex all the time. Yeah. Okay. Here, and now here, here's something else. What about oral sex before marriage? That's okay because it isn't really intercourse, is it? That was the question that was asked to him. And he says this. Many a married woman suffers today from guilt, feelings, and shame caused by indulging in such practices before meeting her husband. So men don't feel shame about it either? Yeah, that's what keeps coming up in a lot yeah, of these cases. Yeah, it's just really that, weird. Uh, and in another book, uh, how When God Writes Your Love Story, uh, I think the authors are the Lundies, um, they, there's two different... Ill, two different stories they share where a couple went too far, went further than they wanted to before they were married. And the result of that was that now she has lost the most precious gift she has. Yeah, and he hasn't because he still has himself because he's a man. So he has inherent value, whereas she doesn't because she's a woman. So if she's a virgin, then she's got value. But otherwise, how sad. Mm -hmm. That was incredible sarcasm in case anyone didn't really catch (laughs) on to that. That's the problem, is if you are reading a book where things just seem halfway there, mm-hmm. you're allowed to say, yeah, there's some good stuff here, but overall, this is not good. Yep. You know, if you're reading a book where it's like women should be able to experience orgasm, women can't experience orgasm, but also marital rape doesn't exist. Yeah. Like, you can throw the book out. Or drown it. Like or I drown did. it. Exactly. Or drown it. <laughs> This is ridiculous, and we need to stop putting up with this, and we need to start demanding more because there's so much great resource. There's so many great resources out there in books, in podcasts, in blogs, in YouTube channels. There's 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 a wealth of information. So don't sell for stuff like this. Yeah, we can we can ask for more. And like I said, there were some books that scored 47 out of 40. Yes. Gift of Sex, very good. And I'm also making a website for this book where we're going to have all the information about books that did score really, really well. So that mm-hmm. if you have specific questions about sex or you're working through some things with your spouse, you'll be able to say, is this a good resource for me? Because yeah. we don't want to just tear everyone down. We want to present what things are good as well. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that there's just so much bad. And often the bad is the same. It's repeated in all these different books. Yes. Like, like a lot of the stuff that's bad in the act of marriage is repeated in love and respect. Mm-hmm. And it's repeated in all these other books. Okay, you're going to love this one. Oh, ready? No. Here's the question. Okay. Again, this is the Q&A at the end of the book. How do I cope with my husband's indifference to our sex life? Have a frank talk with him. Perhaps you are doing something that turns him off. Then try to ignite his interest by showing affection, displaying provocative attire in the bedroom, and massaging his penis. Even oh. the most reluctant penis can hardly no. ignore wifely stroking. No! Oh, that's so icky. That's just the worst way to put it. That's just icky. The most reluctant... Oh, come here, you little reluctant penis. <laughs> like, oh, that's, like, that's no, the weirdest but, thing. Okay, let, let's, let's pretend that the genders are flipped for a minute here. Yeah. And she doesn't want to... Yeah. And he's instructed, that's okay, just grab her clitoris and rub a lot. Yeah, that's so icky. You know what that is? That's assault. Yes! (laughs) It's advising the wife to sexually assault her husband. It's like, like, oh my word. Like, people, you have the right to say no when you're no matters. But also, like, and and then no, it's not bad if your spouse is kind of like, just like, kind of mad. Like, yeah, you can go tease them and feel them up a bit. Be like, hey, are you sure? Like, playful, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But if they're like, I don't want to tonight, then you stick your hand down his pants, that's incredibly disrespectful. Yeah. That's incredibly disrespectful. And also... If he's indifferent towards our sex life, there's no mention of like, hey, maybe you check out 
what magazines are underneath the bed. Yeah. Because it's written in the 80s, right? Or, like, maybe you check their internet history. Oh, the funny part. Oh, I didn't read this part, but you're going to like this. About porn, he says that he believes porn will be on the rise, and he thinks it's on the rise because of women's lip. Oh, because women's lip are so low? Uh, Because... Because oh, women's, women's liberation. Women's liberation. Because it's making men, uh, it's making women choleric and and demanding. Well, okay, so right, because it's the it's the sexually um, confident women whose husbands are never impotent but are impotent. Yes. Yes. Because of them, we're also yes. going to see more porn. No, yes. that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Maybe porn becomes more mainstream because the internet happens. I mean, you couldn't blame the guy for not understanding that, though. <laughs> I mean, no one understood the internet for years. Yes. No, no. And, and, and so, uh, yeah. So the fact that he doesn't get porn is not, is no, not that's, a problem. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like maybe just like telling her, well, obviously it's a problem with you that your husband doesn't want sex. So you need to try to be sexier and act more. It's like, it's, it's one thing to say, like, how can we spice things up? Well, maybe you should buy some lingerie. You can go laundry shopping together, have him pick out something he really likes. And mm-hmm. That's totally different than, like, my spouse doesn't want sex. Okay, well, then you should shove your hand down his pants and put on lingerie. <laughs> like, it's just, it's, it's just, it's very different than, than the <laughs> advice that I would ever give in that situation. Yeah, yeah. So, again, so here's a book that actually, it did not score terrible. No, because it really took women's pleasure seriously. Yeah, the problem is that it did score badly on other aspects such yeah. as consent understanding um lust and women's sex drive well, and this is a great book to explain the issue that we face a lot where you can write a book that says something like abuse is bad mm-hmm. but then throughout your whole book you get examples of abuse and you don't say it's bad yeah you know so you can say something like marital rape is wrong but then you tell aunt matilda's story about how her husband held her down and while she screamed. While she screamed, please stop, and kept having sex with her. And it's her fault for not liking sex. Mm-hmm. You know? And so that's the problem. That's why we can't let these books get away with this kind of stuff. That's why we can't say things like, oh, well, in love and respect, Emerson Egrich says that women need respect too. Because he doesn't then say that throughout the whole book. He says it in one throwaway sentence. And then but the whole all book. All of his anecdotes. All of his anecdotes are completely disrespectful of women or he'll say things like you should never put up with abuse but then he tells an example of a woman who has a physically abusive husband who then had to learn not to provoke him you can't contradict yourself in a book and expect Mm -hmm. to be taken seriously on that subject matter yeah what you say really matters and what these books says and what these books say about these really important issues really matters you can't say things like women matter and women are precious to god and women matter just as much as men and then also completely disregard sexual abuse Mm -hmm. you can't say that and you can't then say well it's your fault because you're bitter because you were raped yeah that is incredibly irresponsible and incredibly damaging and honestly it is evil to say that kind of thing to a woman Mm -hmm. even if it is unintentional we can commit unintentional evils in the things that we do and i think that we need to start calling books out to when they do so and we need to not be afraid of the repercussions because the people who are being hurt are more important. And, and this book really hurt me. I remember when I did drown it, and I and for years I could never put into words exactly what the problem was. I just remember this overwhelming feeling, like I went really cold, like I don't I don't have a choice anymore. And and it wasn't that I didn't want sex. It was that I wanted 
sex to be this journey of discovery that my husband and I went on together and that we we did it because we were enjoying it. Yes. And as soon as you turn it into a duty, it's like you're saying, I don't matter anymore. Yes, sex is meant to be a gift freely given. And when we turn it into something that is an obligation, it becomes something that is forcibly taken. Even if the forcibly taken is your wedding vows, it mm-hmm. still is something that you did not have control over in the same way. Because what they're saying is you cannot ever say no to this person whom you love if you want to have them. Yeah. And when you're in love with that person, you'll do anything to keep them. Yeah. And so, of course, you feel, well, I don't have ownership of my body anymore. And that's really, really hard. And that's really, really damaging. And that is not at all how the Bible actually portrays sex. Yeah. And, you know... We're not trying to say that you can just say no whenever you want. It won't have any repercussions in your no. marriage. We're not trying to say that. We, we believe that sex is vitally important in a marriage, but we also believe that some of these messages are actually hurting the very thing they're trying to solve. Exactly. If you're in a sexless marriage and you are choosing not to have sex with your spouse, whether you are the man or the woman, you need to have serious conversations about that because either you need to be working towards getting to a place where sex is on the table again, mm-hmm. or you need to say, you know, this is, I'm not having sex because this is an unsafe situation and I need to get out. Yeah. Because if you are simply denying your spouse sex because you just don't feel like dealing with it, or you just don't feel like you want to do the work to get a libido back, that is unfair to your spouse. Mm -hmm. That is really unfair. Mm -hmm. But if you're in a situation where, you know, maybe you're really sick during pregnancies, or maybe, you know, your your wife is constantly belittling you, and you just don't feel emotionally safe enough to want to open up to her like that, Mm -hmm. you know, you need to be putting in, you know, some work to be able to get to the point where you can have sex again. And they need to know you're not in a moratorium. So please don't think that we're saying that sexless marriages are not a big deal. They are a really big deal. But what we're saying is that the reason they're a big deal is not because one person's not getting enough. It's because both people matter as people. And when you're in a sexless marriage, there's something that is wrong with the relationship. And that is what is important. It's a symptom of a larger issue. Absolutely. And... I mean, yes, we all want, at least I hope we, we want marriages to have frequent sex. I, sex. Sex is important. We want people to get to the point where, they, where that is a reality for you. And not just frequent sex, but frequent good sex. Yeah, sex that you want to be sex frequent. But the more that we give messages like, like you don't have a choice, there's something you have to do, the less likely we're actually going to get frequent sex that's pleasurable. That's what we have found. Exactly. Is, is that if you want frequent sex that's pleasurable, we need to stop telling people they don't have a choice because well, it doesn't work. Especially because in those situations when you're also hearing these things like men need sex and men are always going to want for, want sex, then, you know, women are marrying men who are just kind of pigs because they're constantly, constantly trying to get them to push their boundaries and go pa- past where they want in a, in not a normal, just de- dealing with normal temptation way. And they don't realize it. And so they marry these men and then they just always feel used and discarded because, as if they're just body parts to ejaculate into. And so sex is terrible. Whereas if we taught these women from the get-go, like, hey, you are meant for sex as well. 
this is for both of you. You deserve to be respected. You deserve mm-hmm. to find a man who's not going to be enslaved to his carnal desires. Mm-hmm. You know, like hold out for a guy who's really, really good and who will treat you really, really well so that you can have an awesome sex life someday. So that you can really give yourself with reckless abandon mm-hmm. to this person. Mm-hmm. Just joyfully, completely surrendering without having to fear about that he will mistreat you or misuse you. Then we'd see hopefully more women marrying better guys where they actually want to have sex with these guys and where figuring out all these issues is a lot easier because it's someone you can really talk to and explore with and have fun with and not have to worry about all these all these horrible situations that he's putting in this book and not naming them for what they are which mm-hmm. is usually assault and rape yeah yeah so we can do better Yes. I'm glad that this book did break down some barriers and did was one of the first to talk about, about women's sexual pleasure. That was good. Mm-hmm. But we can do better. And we know that these messages have hurt a lot of people. We've got the data for it. We're going to be talking about that some more in our upcoming book and pointing us to a better way and a healthier message where we can work towards that frequent but super fulfilling and passionate sex life that I think God designed us for. 